This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, again, we want to say thank you so much for joining us online this morning. You know, it's been said that you can't cram for a test of character because they always come as a pop quiz. And today we're going to look at one of these pop quizzes in the life of Joseph as we continue on in this series that we're calling Joseph and the God of the Impossible. And in this message, we're going to see that Joseph's high view of God combined with his personal integrity helped him to resist significant temptation. So if you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 39, Bible or Bible app. As you're turning there, just going to give you a little bit of a recap. So Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, and Joseph received two significant dreams from God about the future and people bowing down to him, members of his family. Jacob gave him this fancy multicolored coat, which didn't help relations with his siblings. His brothers hated him. They were super jealous of him, and they actually uh, almost kill him. But instead of killing him, they decide that they're going to sell him off to be a slave. And so that's what they do. And then they deceive their father, Jacob, with the coat, convincing him that Joseph is now dead. Joseph was 17 years old when all this happened. So imagine just being 17 years old. Some of you watching, you're 17 or you're around that age or you remember vividly that time. There you are, sold into slavery, into Egypt. You're now in a foreign country with a different language, different culture, different worldviews, and different gods that that are worshipped. And you're all alone. Or so it seems. Let's read Genesis 39, verse 1 to 6. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. See, he was not alone. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field, so that he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything except the food that he ate. So as verse 2 says, the reality, while Joseph maybe had felt alone, he was not alone. The Lord was there. The Lord was with him, which is a theme that we're going to see throughout his entire life. And it says that Joseph became a successful man, so successful to the point that Potiphar, his master, noticed something, noticed God's favor. He says, you know, there's something, there's something different about this slave. There's something special about this kid. And so over time, he's ended up put in charge of the whole thing. He's managing Potiphar's entire household. He does a fantastic job. He's a good worker. He's a hard worker. But the text makes it quite clear that the success, that the favor, the blessing that happened was from God. And just a little side note for us. We've got to remember that all the blessing, all the success, all the favor that we might experience in our life also comes from God. We may be a really good worker. We may be really efficient. We may be really intelligent. We may be really athletic. We may have all kinds of talents and abilities, but we've got to remember our place and stay humble lest we start boasting, lest we get arrogant and proud and become self-sufficient. All we have, all we have is a gift from God to us. The fact that your, your brain is working right now and that you're able to see and understand and process this video is because God says so. 
As 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31 says, as, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not in yourself, not in your abilities, but in the Lord. So back to the story. After these six verses of summary, now we're going to zoom in to this character testing scene for Joseph in this narrative. Uh, the second half of verse 6 down to verse 10. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So some time has passed since Joseph has arrived in Egypt. The text tells us that uh, quite clearly that Joseph was a handsome man. So here he is. He's this young, good-looking dude, and Potiphar's wife noticed this. She's attracted to him. Who knows? Maybe Potiphar works really long hours for Pharaoh. Not sure. We don't know all the backstory, but the point is she gets attracted to him, and she wants to sleep with him. She's provocative. She's seductive. She's bold, and she's persistent. See, verse 10, it says that she spoke to him day after day. This wasn't just one moment of having to resist temptation, one pop quiz test of character. This was actually constant, which makes Joseph's res response that much more inspiring. He consistently resists her sexual advances on him. And so we see in these verses, Potiphar's wife, her lack of character is revealed. We see Joseph's on full display. His integrity and his self-control stop him from betraying his master. He says, whoa, I'm not going to do this. Are you kidding me? Potiphar, he trusts me with everything. I'm not going to forfeit all that just to do this one wicked thing. Joseph was unwilling to sacrifice his purity, his integrity, and his reputation for simply one moment of pleasure. The reality is, it's sad and unfortunate, but how many people actually do this? They trade everything for, for one moment. Lives are damaged. Families are destroyed, careers are, are tarnished, reputations are, are totally ruined, all for a moment of what? A moment of selfishness, a moment of pleasure, a moment of so-called bliss. And if we think about this for, for just a moment, Joseph could have slept with Potiphar's wife multiple times. She clearly wanted him, and he had the opportunity, and here he was. I mean, think about it. He's a young guy, single, probably pretty lonely at times, but yet, he continues to resist the temptation and he calls it out for what it is. He says, this is a great wickedness and this is a sin against God. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to, to kind of gloss over sin and say, oh, it's, it's not that bad. It, it's not so wrong because, you know, everybody sins. No, the reality is sin is bad. It is wrong. Sin is an affront to God. It's rebellion against God. It's disobedience. It's choosing our own selfish ways rather than uh, understanding and believing that God's ways are better. Sin is the reason that brokenness exists in the world, and it's because of sin that Jesus Christ had to leave heaven. He came down to save us. He had to die so that we could be rescued and forgiven from sin. It is serious, and we would do well to remember that. And so the story continues, verse 11 to 18, and Potiphar's wife, now she kind of hatches her plot against Joseph. 
It says, but one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men were, of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, but I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So she waited. She waited for an opportune time to pounce. The other workers weren't in the house, possibly at her own instruction. And she just goes up and grabs Joseph's clothes in hopes that he would, he would finally give in, that he would finally stop resisting, and that he would have sex with her. And the text makes it really clear that no one else was around. Like, hey, Joseph, come on. Nobody's here. No one's going to find out. Nothing bad's going to happen. It's just you and me, Joseph. It's just a little bit of fun. Come on. What's the big deal? You see, temptation and sin, like, uh, temptation and sin, it tends to look good. It tends to sound good. And yes, sin feels good at times. And sin promises much, but it delivers so little. Sin wreaks havoc. It produces regret. It leads to further brokenness. And it never satisfies long term. It may satisfy in the moment, yes. But it never satisfies long term. And I think we all know this. We can testify this from our own experiences. Uh, someone has said it this way, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. So Joseph flees the scene. He leaves his garment behind, which of course now Potiphar's wife uses as evidence to support her lie, that it was actually him trying to seduce her, and he fled like a coward when she resisted him. So then Potiphar comes home, verse 19 to 20. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. So Potiphar comes home from work and he hears this news. And you know what? Potiphar actually acts accordingly based on the information that he receives. Like he has no reason to distrust or to doubt his wife's testimony. Plus, she's got Joseph's coat. There's the evidence. And then it says that his anger kindled. He became angry. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I would be pretty angry too if I came home from work and my wife's like, guess what? Somebody tried to have sex with me today and I've got his coat here to prove it. I'd be pretty furious. But see, this wasn't just anybody. This wasn't just a somebody. This was Joseph. Joseph, the one that he had elevated to the position of manager, the one that he had trusted. Imagine, I can imagine Potiphar thinking, I have done so much for you. I've treated you so well. And this is the thanks I get. See you later. Into prison you go. It's remarkable that he just didn't execute Joseph. But into prison was Joseph's path. And it's very interesting this is now the second time in, in the story that Joseph's clothing plays an important role in this story uh, where there's negative consequences for Joseph. And just like the first time, a garment is used to deceive people. So I guess we could say the moral of the story for Joseph should just be go around not wearing clothes at all. Every time he wears clothes, it gets into all kinds of problems. 
Of course, that's not the moral of the story, and of course that would create a whole set of other problems. Clothing is good. Genesis 39, 21-23. So he's in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. So similar to Potiphar's house, the Lord continues to bless him. The Lord was with Joseph. But I mean, I can imagine Joseph. Here he is, he's in prison. How frustrating this must be for him. Like, he actually didn't do anything wrong. He's actually innocent. He's wrongfully accused. He's set up. It's like uh, Harrison Ford in the, in, the, in the movie The Fugitive or uh, Andy Dufresne in, in Shawshank Redemption. And you watch these movies, and as, as a viewer, as a reader, we're sitting there like, no, this is all wrong. This is not right. You've got the wrong guy. And I'm sure he had thoughts like that, and he got doubts, and he got questions. He's sitting there in prison. He's maybe saying, why is this happening, God? I don't understand. Things were going pretty well for me in Potiphar's house. I resisted the temptation. Is this what happens when I honor you? I don't get it. How, how are those dreams that you gave me be fulfilled right now? It seems impossible. I'm stuck in jail. Ah, but we see God is the God of the impossible, and we're going to see that play out in this, in this series. And as verse 21 makes it clear, the Lord hadn't abandoned him. The Lord was still with him and continued to grant him favor despite hard circumstances, despite him facing adversity. He ends up being basically second in command of the prison, a prisoner in charge of the prison. Crazy. God's favor. And it's important for us to understand that as believers in Jesus, we will face trials. We will face even sometimes consequences, even for doing the right thing. But it's not random. And that doesn't mean that God has, has abandoned us, that he's not with us anymore or something like that. God is with his people. And when we look at Genesis 39, it's the suspenseful chapter of Joseph's life. It's up and down, right? He's resisting temptation, which is great, but then he goes to jail. And you say, yeah, okay, but what about us today? How can, how can I apply Genesis 39 to my life and, and 2020. I'm not Joseph. What, what can I learn from this? Well, I actually think we can learn a lot in this passage about how we can resist temptation in our own lives. So I'm going to share with you five quick strategies about resisting temptation. The first one is recognize God's provision. We've got to recognize God's provision. What do I mean? Every single person is going to face temptation. We're going to be tempted in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of scenarios. But did you know we don't actually have to give in? We don't actually have to sin? Now please hear me. I'm not saying that as believers in Jesus, we can become perfect and we'll never sin again or something like that. That's what I'm not saying. What I am saying is that every temptation we face, there's always the option to say no to that sin and yes to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 makes that clear. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, ready? He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God hates sin. He detests sin the most. And he will faithfully provide a way out. We need to recognize that provision, see it, and take it. Secondly, we need to resist temptation with wisdom. 
So the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. As a father gives instruction to his son, and much of that wisdom in learning about how to honor God and how to live rightly is actually about learning how to avoid certain scenarios or certain people who will lead you into wickedness and sinful behavior. And so each one of us, we can and we should be intentionally making decisions, making choices to not put ourselves into those situations where we know we're going to be tempted. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we say, hey, you know what? I'm probably going to face a lot of temptation if I go over there, or if I, if, I, if I go hang out with those people, or if I go into this scenario over here. So because of that, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to choose wisdom. So for some examples, a recovering alcoholic should choose to avoid the bars. Somebody with a gambling issue should avoid the casino. A person with a pornography problem should avoid uh, having devices with unfiltered internet access. Uh, a, a Christian couple that, that's dating or engaged, that's, that's wanting to stay pure and save sex for marriage, they should avoid being alone together for long periods of time in a house or something like that. It's choose wisdom in the fight against temptation to set yourself up for success as much as possible. Thirdly, be ready to run. Be ready to run. Because sometimes uh, we can use wisdom to avoid certain situations, but other times, like what happened with Joseph, we're just caught off guard. And there's this pop quiz test of character now, and suddenly we're in the thick of temptation. What do we do? And it's in those scenarios that it might be time to run, perhaps even literally like Joseph did. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So there are times when fleeing is the mark of a coward. Oh, look at him run. But there are times where fleeing is actually evidence of courage and integrity and spiritual maturity. Sometimes we do actually have to be just like Joseph and get our buns out of there and just book it and run away. Just flee. Joseph lost his coat, but he kept his character. Fourth, we need to know the truth. What do I mean by that? I mean, we need to know the truth about a few different things. One, we need to know the truth about sin, that it is great wickedness against God, that it always results in brokenness. And we need to know the truth about temptation, that whether it's from our own hearts or from outside sources, temptation encourages us to believe lies, lies about ourselves, lies about others, and lies about God. See, Joseph knew the truth. He knew that sinning against God was serious, and he knew that following God was better. He knew the truth, and he was able to resist. When we think about Jesus in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4, he's facing these temptations. Every temptation that Satan threw at him, Jesus battled against with the truth of Scripture. And he kept saying, no, 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 it is written. It is written. It is written. Be gone from me, Satan. Folks, this book will help you resist temptation. It's the very word of God. It's powerful and it's true. Psalm 119 verse 11, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? Why have I stored up your word in my heart? That I might not sin against you. See, I'm taking, I've taken time to, to know this, to learn, to study, to meditate on this, so that when these tempting situations happen, I've got this stuff in my heart and I'm able to apply it and I can resist when I'm faced with these tempting situations. We need to know the truth. And fifthly, we've got to trust God 
to be God. What, what do I mean by this one? Joseph, see, this is the frustrating part of Joseph's story. He's the most honorable and the most righteous person in the story, and he's the one that ends up in prison. He didn't do anything wrong. But God hadn't left him. And for you and I, there's no guarantee that when we resist temptation, that everything's going to be easy, everything's going to be successful, everything's going to be happy. Sometimes we're going to face adversity for doing the right thing. Joseph is a fantastic example of that, but really the ultimate example of that is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus never sinned, not even once. He resisted every single temptation that he faced, and yet, what was the result? He endured pain, suffering, rejection, betrayal, and death, even though he was totally innocent. And that was the plan of God. But what was Jesus' posture through all of that? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 and 24, says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's the key. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus entrusted himself to his Father. He let God be God. And so he obeyed, taking our sin so that we could die to sin. We could have new life, a life living to righteousness. We need to have the same kind of posture. We've got to recognize God is God. Trust him to be the judge of everything. Listen, he, he knows what's going on. He sees it all when you resist and, and suffer as a result. He sees, he knows, and he will sort it all out in the end. And so we trust him. We have this posture of trust as we resist temptation, whatever the results may be. And so these are some strategies to help us resist temptation, but what about when we don't resist? What happens when we fail? What happens when we actually give in? Because you know what? Let's just be honest. Try as hard as we might, even to follow these five strategies, we're going to give in. We're going to fail. We're still going to sin from time to time in our lives. And so it's so important for us to know what to do or where to turn when we sin, when we give in to temptation. That's when we need to turn to Jesus. He's the one who loves us. He's the one who paid for all sin. Every single time that we have ever given in and ever will give in to temptation, he paid for it. He suffered and he died and he rose again so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free, so that our sentence of condemnation that was on us for our sin could be removed. And so what do we do? We acknowledge the sin. We confess it. Say, Jesus, I have sinned. I have done this. I gave in to temptation. I'm sorry. And then we, we repent, which means we turn from it. And then we claim the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, us, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess, we repent, and we move forward thanking God for his grace, for his mercy, for his forgiveness. And so while we can learn some great things from Joseph and his integrity in chapter 39 here, we must always remember that Jesus is greater than Joseph. 
Nothing wrong with Joseph, but Jesus is greater. And it's in Jesus and in him alone that we have forgiveness, that we have salvation, that we have eternal life, and we have hope. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning we want to say thank you so much for the cross of Jesus. That he willingly went forward in our place, suffered and died for us, paid for our failures, all the times that we have given in to temptation. Thank you. And thank you that he rose again and he conquered sin and that we can be forgiven and we can have this new and eternal life with you. God, I want to pray that you would fill us now with your Holy Spirit so that we could, like Joseph, develop uh, a proper and, and a high view of you and we can understand and develop and, and gain a hatred for sin, a hatred for disobedience. I pray that you would help us to, to choose wisdom and we would take intentional steps toward cultivating character and integrity so that we can avoid temptation as much as possible. Lord, I pray that we would be able to resist temptations, these pop quizzes of, of character, whenever they come, whatever, whatever shape they may take. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember that in all of this, Jesus, you are our true hope. You are all that we need. You're all that we have. We thank you and we love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.